0: dad you can call are you coughing or muted are you like stifling a yeah i muted myself to cough isn't okay. that what i'm supposed to do i'm just like saying, all you're having a like, stroke do you smell yeah, toast like, greg your right hand just like went up to your mouth and i was like oh no is he like having a moment here like, i'm trying to be polite here
1: yeah christopher always says that uh when i'm in a group of people and i'm i'm having one of my coughing attacks that i always try to appear very small yeah he to I, shrink. Shrink. <laughs> he,
0: he, he... I try to shrink <laughs> he's like if i do this less people will notice me in this booth if i cough if i cough with my shoulders shriveled then that makes me somehow less seen
2: this is the greg cody show with greg cody pardon it here's your host greg cody
3: It's beginning to look a lot like Fishmas everywhere you go. Take a look at five wins in a row. Fins are glistening once again, with big defense and two stats all aglow. Yes, it's beginning to look a lot like Fishmas, another TD for you. But the prettiest sight to see Is the merriment that will be As we party like it's 1972 A pair of quarterback sacks and a diving pick The wish of girlfriends and boys And to a don't-goddle, just throw it to waddle We'll all be dancing with joy Oh, it's beginning to look a lot like Fishmas Everywhere you go, we're making angels in the snow. There's my Collins on the Great Cody Show. It's a festive junk of nonstop ho, ho, ho. So it's beginning to look a lot like Fishmas, but sitting on Santa's lap. I don't need a new set of gloves or anything with a bow. Hey, Batman, just bring me four more wins in a row. That kind of thing.
1: (laughs) Are you feeling jolly? (laughs) You know what? That was a beautiful song. I don't always think. If you can't say so yourself. (laughs) <laughs> parody songs. I do a great, I thought that one was great. And it was fantastic at the dolphin game today. They played it in the stadium. <laughs> no, they didn't. I'm just kidding. In my dreams. They did. I had a dream <laughs> that they played that song. Can you imagine 70,000, 60,000 people in an NFL stadium and they're playing that song that would have just been a career highlight for me, but they didn't, but, um, classic Greg Cody joke right there. The dolphins, uh, had a big win, but before we get to that in the spirit of the holidays, I have a beautiful uh, headline to read,
0: real quick. Okay. And we're going
1: to get to Dave Barry in a minute.
0: Um,
1: you y- 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 all have heard that name up,
0: by the way. Jeez, you just casually drop Dave Barry, a Pulitzer Prize winning writer. <laughs> I mean, jeez. Beloved
1: me? humorist
0: who's on our show today. Dave Barry will be back. Test. Like, what a pretentious sentence that was right there. You, you can't <laughs> just drop a Pulitzer Prize winning author, like, just casual. Like, hey, we'll, we'll get to Dave Barry in a second. This is important. That's right. First Pulitzer Prize winner
1: in the history of our podcast. But you all have heard about those terrible tornadoes uh, that have been happening in the country. And I just read a headline that was fantastic. Here's the headline, and it's a true story. Twister carried two babies away in a bathtub, and they lived. Oh, my God. Jeez, finally you said that at the end. That was... It's a true story. (laughs) I think it happened in Kentucky. Um, This woman was... I think the babies were you know, 17 months and six months or whatever, the twister lifted the whole bathtub away. And I don't mean that it cartwheeled through the air for miles like in The Wizard of Oz, but it was a scary enough scene. And long story short, the two babies uh, survived and lived. So that's a beautiful holiday story, uh, a diamond in the rough, a beautiful story of, uh, of good happening from heartache I'm trying so to, think, to share
0: that. trying to think what is like that's kind of best case scenario if you're going to be on some item in your house when this happens a bathtub at least you got the wall support you can kind of push on the sides and at least you know get some support if basically. you're going to get carried like, away you're saying like right if i was yeah. on a bar stool picture me on a bar stool flying away in a, right. in a tornado like it's not as safe yes. as if I, I can get like maybe lay down in the bathtub and you just do that thing where none of no part of you is above that is true i'm not sure if the three-month-old
1: had the wherewithal or the presence of mind to balance him or herself against the sides but
0: your point is well taken maybe, maybe like a lounge seat like like a love se- what, what not a love seat like just like a, a recliner like you know maybe that's second best after a, a bathtub
1: i do want to say that um the miami dolphins were <laughs> inspired transition by my fishmas song uh to their sixth victory in a row they're now 500 a seven and seven record in the history of sports has never felt better <laughs> enough
2: I, I about, about baby that. surviving calamity back to me <laughs> exactly no
1: i mean it's just fantastic the babies lived that's all we need to say god bless them and uh and
0: right now the dolphins Tua did not look good. Let's be I, honest. yeah, this is a good sign is where you don't play a, like the, the team in general, like you don't play that well. You beat the Jets. That's how it's right. supposed to work around here. Like you know, if they exactly. played well, they would have beat them more. You know, what's going on with Tua? and he makes some throws where it's just like, what's he doing there? like they, they 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 show the replay, and there's the defender there, and I don't know if he's making bad decisions or if he's like overly confident with his accuracy. I think it's that I don't think he, cause he, he seems to be confident. He goes through his progressions and he seems to like have conviction with what he's doing. It's just sometimes the replays are not friendly to him because it's like, what was happening there? You
1: know, sometimes an interception is not the fault of the quarterback, a tip ball or whatever. These were two awful interceptions. The first yeah. one, he started off real bad. Uh, believe it or not, this was the first time in his young career that he's begun a game over three. Yeah. I mean, he started off bad. He was inaccurate early, which he's never inaccurate, but he overthrew badly on the first interception.
0: The and second un- one, the yeah. pick
1: six, was terrible.
0: He had he had Albert Wilson wide open and he underthrew him Yeah, one time. Yeah, but he had a great running game for, for like the first time all season.
1: They actually ran the ball super, gained like 185 yards on the ground season nine. But they won. Six in a row is, is an amazing thing. No team has ever done it in the NFL. Uh, losing seven games in a row and then winning – six games in a row it's it's historic and i want to move on to dave barry right now because i'm i don't try to oversell uh stuff we do on the podcast i don't do it <laughs> i'm not except to say this and you never try it's to explain the, what's going to go on yeah it's the damn best interview we've ever done on this <laughs> podcast how wow. about that okay so i'm setting that bar uh, an olympic high jumper could not leap over the bar i've just said we've, we've, so, we've, ta- we've talked to oprah Well, we have, but uh, she was surprisingly boring and we had to cut it. We actually had an interview with Oprah that did not qualify to make our podcast. That's a whole different story. Anyway, let's get to beloved humorist
0: Pulitzer Prize winner Dave Barry. But we're not just going to get to that. We're going to get to what we did beforehand because you don't know, dad. I was recording you the whole time. (laughs) Oh, my. Okay. no, me and my dad were on before the interview and. We stumbled into some stuff, so you're gonna hear a little a little Dave Barry tailgate. What me and my dad were doing before the interview, you're gonna get to hear that. Tailgate. How about that?
3: Oh, about <laughs>
1: I just wrapped my first gift today. You know, I'm I feel like I'm catching up and I'm I'm doing more online shopping than I typically do. Really? I've already bought a few
0: things through Amazon. And things that'll be here, but like yeah. uh, isn't like shipping a whole ordeal these days? You know mom is just going on this account and like snooping and seeing what you're buying here.
1: She can't. It's my account. Y-
0: you have your own Amazon account? Yeah. Are you sure? I, I think mom I-, I I guarantee you mom is snooping your, your Amazon account. She doesn't know my Amazon uh, passcode. I, I guarantee you, you probably just have like a joint thing with mom. Like you're under her name, but you have your own account kind of thing. I don't think so. Like you, I I just can't picture a scenario where you went out and like made an Amazon account. Like I assume mom gave you your username and password. I did it all. Nice. nice. <laughs> I, I'm 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 calling BS.
1: Why would I lie about that?
0: No, I'm not saying. My it's own just, Amazon I'm not saying you're lying. Like it's just extremely shocking to me. Like you seem like a guy that's never registered for anything in your life, and like mom just gives you everything, kind of thing. Well, you know, I registered to vote. Right, like that's that's what I imagine is the last thing you registered for before Amazon.
1: No, I mean, I, I still like to go retail. Which, by the way, the idea that retail is dead, which everybody says retail is dead, retail is dying because of Amazon and everything. Yeah. I went to the Sawgrass Mills outlet mall today.
0: Well, Dad, yeah. It was insane. This is like the, you're literally at the, like the week, like I would say like the next two weeks are literally like the most busiest time. Like it's, check back on January 5th.
1: Okay, but, but if retail is dead, why isn't it dead permanently?
0: <laughs> because on Christmas, you know, capitalism has taken over the holidays.
1: Yeah, but, but you know, why aren't all these people going to the mall and taking away my parking spaces? Why aren't they on Amazon?
0: What percentage of their yearly sales do you think stores make like this two weeks? You know what I mean? Like Macy's. Wow. Like, do you think it's 20%? It might be. I don't
1: think it's much more than that. Let me just email him real quick and say you should have it now.
0: You're a big, let me email the guy to tell him that he has it kind of of guy. Right. Let me text the guy to tell him he has an email. Right. Why wouldn't I? I'm a verifier. Your mom always makes fun of me for...
1: Being a verifier, I verify, you know? I send an email or a text. I want to make sure you got it. That's why I crave an immediate response. 454. Car 54, where are you? It's more like it.
0: (laughs) Was that you just soothing yourself on panicking about when Dave is going to get here? 454, he just, like, says inexplicably.
1: 454, where are you?
0: How many times a day... Would you have a song to accompany like a time being said?
1: Pretty frequently. Three AM? But four fifty four was perfect. Three AM? Brad.
0: No. <laughs> wow. Did we just get did we just get a we just caught one? We we saw one in the wild. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> it's 3 a.m. I must be lonely. Okay. I'll say, it, baby. Say. It's 3 a.m. I must be lonely. 4 a.m. Is there a 4 a.m. song? Uh, oh it's 7 o'clock on the dot. I'm in my drop top cruising the streets. There's, there's got to be some midnight songs out there.
1: Well, Midnight Rambler. There you go. Lord, I was born a rambling man. i trying to make a living and doing the best I can.
0: What part does he say midnight?
1: <laughs> About one a.m. I bet there's a song for every major number: one, two, three, four, five, six. Nah, there's nothing o'clock, there's and no, I want to rock Want to get a belly full of beer.
0: There's no song with two p.m. in it. There's <laughs> nothing's going on at two p.m.
1: No, except you're getting sleepy and tired of work.
0: Yeah, that's that's more like three
1: thirty. Is Dave Barry I, being fashionably late? Is he Bigfooting us? It's four fifty-eight. Four fifty-eight. Where
3: are you? <laughs>
0: He's going to be really punctual. He's probably sitting in front of his computer just waiting for it to be 5. Are you that kind of guy? Or will you jump in something at 4.58 if you're there? If you're like, No, you I'm the like kind you... of guy
1: who typically would prefer to be two minutes late than two minutes early. In I love a case that. like this.
0: I love that. No, I love that. Because like, you're also the guy bitching about someone not being here at 4.58. Right. While saying that you would show up at 5.02. Correct. And you're predicting that he will show up right at 5.00.
1: That's true. But right now, his clock that he's looking at could say 4.55. That's true. You know, does anybody really know what time it is? Mine's an Apple computer.
0: I'm looking at an Apple computer, and I feel like that's pretty satellite. Like, if he has an Apple laptop, like, his is the same as mine, probably. Does
1: anybody really know what time it is?
0: And, yes, it's 4.59, and he has entered. So he's a one-minute early kind of guy.
3: And does anybody really care?
0: All right, we're recording, so I'm just going to let him (laughs) run in.
2: Here I am. Yes, you are. Hey, hey, guys. How's it going? How you doing, Dave? It's the Cody's. Yes, it is. I'm good,
1: and you? Uh, we're well. You, you know Christopher. You've met him, right? Yes, several times. I
2: have. I
1: have.
0: See, so I saw you at the Lebetsart Studio a couple of years ago. I think it was the last time.
2: Yeah, when, I, whenever it was recording, like uh, he was doing a podcast. I get everybody's doing a podcast. We recorded 20 straight minutes before he, the guy on the other side of the screen said, oh, I thought you told me not to record.
0: (laughs) That was Roy. I was there. It was Roy. Yep, classic Roy move.
2: Yeah, so we'll go back and do it again, but like, you know, now you're sort of, you know, trying to retell the same anecdotes, but neither one of you really thinks it's fresh because <laughs> you know oh, like, you just great. did it. Oh, it was really, it was really painful, oh, but I, le- I just want to let much. you
0: know we are recording. So we're good to go.
2: I saw that it came on. I'm very excited. We're already... uh, we're not only recording right now,
1: but we've secretly bugged your house for the past week to collect additional <laughs> content. So this is like one of okay. those
2: real housewives of, of Dave Barry. <laughs> that's you <know>? exactly right. <laughs> All right, here we go. We're
1: going
0: to get it going here,
1: Dave. I appreciate you
0: being here. Oh, well, we're, we're using, there was a lot of good stuff there. We're using all that. That was good. Just keep, <laughs> keep it on moving.
1: Hey, everybody. I'm thrilled to have our next guest. I've, I've known this guy a long time. I consider him a friend, a Miami Herald colleague. He's best known, of course, as the husband of uh, famed Herald sports writer, <laughs> Michelle Kaufman. He's Dave Barry. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. Thank you,
2: Greg. Good to be here.
1: Well, I have to tell you, we're breaking new ground, uh, crashing more ceilings here, because you, my friend, are the first Pulitzer Prize winner ever to appear on this podcast.
2: Okay, well, thank you. And I just want to say to any young, uh, aspiring journalists out there, if you just say enough times that you won a Pulitzer Prize... It will eventually get into Wikipedia, whether you did or didn't. And no one ever checks. No one ever asks, where's your Pulitzer Prize? So, you you know, Greg, I'm going to put it out here right now. Greg Cody also won a Pulitzer Prize. He never talks about it. Mm
3: -hmm. It was 19
2: whatever, 80 some, 20, 90 some. But anyway, definitely uh, good to be here with another Pulitzer Prize winner, Greg.
1: Well, thank you, Dave. I really appreciate that. Now, um, uh, yours came in in, and I've never talked to you about any of this. So so it interests me. Uh, You won in 1988 for um, commentary going up against this. Distinguished commentary. Distinguished commentary. Right. Going up against all these political columnists and serious columnists, and and you won for quote consistently uh, effective use of humor as a device for presenting fresh insights into serious concerns. <laughs> uh, do you remember the uh, the columns that were entered to win that August award?
2: I do. And first of all, I, I, and, and I admitted this at the time, I really didn't write fresh insights and serious concerns. I was writing booger jokes. Okay, but, but I can tell you why I won a Pulitzer Prize. After I won it, I became a juror for the next couple of years, which means you go to, to New York and you stay in, uh, near Columbia University and you go to the Columbia University Library all day in like January and read Pulitzer Prize entries. And by the end of this experience, you really loathe New York in general because it's winter <laughs> and you're stuck in this and you loathe the Pulitzer Prizes because you're reading these reading these Pulitzer Prize long, you know, and so you just like hate the whole process. So anyway, in my uh, in the, the category I won, as you say, most of the other people were writing serious political content. I wrote they submitted, I think, seven things that I had written. Uh, One of them was a vicious attack on the city of New York. So and the other one was a mockery of the Pulitzer Prizes in which I basically said, you know, I don't really have anything to write about today, but I want to win a Pulitzer Prize. So I'm going to pretend I'm writing about the situation in the Middle East. You know, but if I if I do win, I will uh, split the prize money with with the judges of the Pulitzer Prize. But anyway, (laughs) I just think it appealed to whoever was the juror that year. Like, oh, guys, somebody gets it. You know, what a miserable Anyway, I think I won out of spite. I won my Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> but I have to tell you my favorite story about winning the Pulitzer Prize, which I absolutely did not expect to win and still don't really think I earned, was that the day that I won it, and I, I really, this is not false modesty, I didn't know that I'd been entered for it. And I certainly didn't think, you know, didn't expect to win. But the, the Herald found out, they find out like an hour ahead of time, and they arranged to have everybody come in the newsroom, for this, for the announcement. Uh, and it was two, two Herald staffers, me and a photographer named Michael Ducille won Pulitzer Prizes that day. I was supposed to go to Key West that day with my son, Rob, who was then uh, seven years old. And he was really excited about going to Key West because he loved Key West because I always rented a motorbike and he did, we would spend the whole time him sitting on the back and just riding all through the streets of Key West. And we just loved to do that. It was his favorite thing. So anyway... I get this call at home from Gene Weingarten, the editor of the Herald, that said, You have to come into a meeting right now. And I, you know, they have this surprise set up for me. And I said, I'm not coming in. I'm going to Key West with Rob. And he goes, No, no. Uh, Janet Chusmer, that was the editor of the Herald, said, You have to be here for this meeting. It's urgent. Wow. And I go, Oh, shit. Okay. So I told Rob, We got to go to the Herald first, and then we'll go to Key West. So we go to the Herald, and there's like all this. You know, the crowd in the newsroom gathered around. And I still don't know this is a, a, has anything to do with me. I just, But then they'd say, oh, they're going to announce the Pulitzer. And as I said to Rob, to say, hey, this is pretty cool. You're going to see the announcement of the Pulitzer. I didn't. And then one editor who was not in on the surprise came up to me about 30 seconds before they made the announcement and said, congratulations, Dave.
1: Oh, God. And, oh, it,
2: and then I realized two things. I realized, one, I'm about to win a Pulitzer Prize. Two, I can't go to Key West. Because, you know, so I, I turned to look down at Rob and said, I'm really sorry, little guy, but we're not going to Key West this weekend. And his face just fell. And they said, but I will buy you a Nintendo because he'd been bugging me. And but he desperately wanted a Nintendo game. Right. And he goes, really? And I go, yes. And he jumps up and hugs me. And as he does, they announce that I have won a full surprise. And they took my picture. And the next day in the Herald, it showed a picture of Michael DeCille winning. And in me, and in my picture, you know, there's, Rob's got his arm um, up around, big arms around me, huge smile on his face. <laughs> and everybody said, Dave, it was so cool how excited your son was. <laughs> you want to pull a surprise. I was thinking, you didn't know what that was. He just, he just knew he was getting a Nintendo. So. That's awesome. Anyway. <laughs>
1: That's funny. Uh, yeah. Not a lot of seven year olds uh, could define exactly what a Pulitzer Prize means, I think. Um,
2: but you know what? He, he is now an editor at The Wall Street Journal. And about five, six years ago, he was part of a team that won a Pulitzer Prize. So that's cool. He actually he actually won a Pulitzer Prize himself. And I will take no credit for that.
1: <laughs> now, um Dave, in a minute, we're going to get to uh, your 2021 holiday gift guide, which is a, a South Florida legend, You, your annual list. And people all over the country know it, of course, and we're going to talk about that. But before we leave Pulitzer Prizes, uh, I didn't know this until today. You won at the time uh, a $3,000 cash prize. And I'm wondering, did you invest that wisely?
2: <laughs> I, we we did go to Key West the next day, we <laughs> made it made to Key West, and I invested it on a lot, a tremendous quantity of, of drinks with yes. um, rum in them. Yes. Okay. So okay. wisely. Yeah, I would say wisely. I would say yes.
1: Yeah, that's always a good investment, by the way. Um, what is a Pulitzer Prize? Like, is it a trophy? Is it
2: a certificate? Like, what what is the actual prize?
0: Look at him. He's looking around. He's like, where is that thing? Where is that thing?
2: Yeah, Michelle, Michelle has a custody of it because I lost it once. Um, <laughs> no, that's that's true. I got in trouble when we moved. I couldn't find it. Uh, it looks like your. It looks like a junior high school, middle school graduation certificate. It, you know. <laughs> This doesn't look like anything special. OK,
1: so have you ever um, had it fitted uh, as a hood ornament or anything like that?
2: <laughs> no, as I say, I don't actually know where it is. And I do fear because someday the Pulitzer police might come around and say, uh, you've been saying you won a Pulitzer Prize. Can we see it, Mr. Barry? You know, and I I don't know. I would have to ask Michelle where it is. Yeah,
1: because when people ask me about mine, uh, you know, I gave it to charity. Just say you
2: ago. lost it. Say you lost it. You exactly. Know? Or say you can say Michelle has yours, too. That's true. That's true.
1: Um, Dave, I want to talk to you about a bunch of stuff and uh, I- including what the Pulitzer, winning a Pulitzer Prize means to one's life and career. But first, I, I have to talk about this gift guide because it's just so and I mean this in the best possible
2: way. It's so ridiculous. So stupid use. is the word you're looking for is stupid.
1: <laughs>
3: well, I'm trying to
1: be polite, but 100 uh, percent. And um, chicken helmets,
2: fart vac. Yeah. Chicken helmets, people laugh, but it's, if you pick up any, any newspaper today, Chris, just so you know, a newspaper is a yeah. printed piece of paper with news on <laughs> um, I, If you pick up any newspaper today, you will see that one of the, the biggest problems we face as a nation is uh, concussions to poultry. Um, yeah, they're running around. They they have a physical lifestyle. Um, modern chickens are very active there because they're mm-hmm. free range, which is and they they they're not you know rocket scientists. They bang their heads. So they need helmets, and, and tragically, most uh, poultry owners don't have helmets. Um, so if we put it in the gift guide this year. In Amazon, you can buy. And they say they also work for uh, pigeons. Um, that's what, of course in the comments. Always read the comments in Amazon. Approximately ninety percent of the comments say these don't fit. They don't, they don't fit <laughs> the chicken. They're too small for the chicken. And to my, to which my reaction is, well, you idiot, you bought a chicken helmet. You deserve whatever happens Seriously. to Seriously. you. You have no no right, no right to complain. <laughs>
1: I'm I'm curious the demographic because I can see buying a chicken helmet strictly as a joke. I cannot quite wrap my head around buying a chicken helmet to actually use.
2: This is the thing. That's what that's what really won me over with the chicken helmets because it. What I try to avoid in the gift guide, and I usually. Pretty much of it is purely gag gifts. Think, you know, then hey, this is wacky. Buy, right? I try to buy gifts that people somewhere, somebody actually thinks this is something useful. And apparently, the chicken helmet falls into that category. Most of the people who bought it have chickens and tried to put <laughs> the helmets on them. And you know, it's America for you.
0: I bet a bunch of cat owners are getting a cat backpack this week, this year.
2: The cat backpack. I, I almost every year have a cat item in because, first of all, I'm going to start with the fact that I hate cats. They are evil scum and they are spawn of Satan. Me too. All right. Nobody likes cats, really. And they hate us. It's, a, it's a, you know, I'm a dog guy. Dogs yeah. love us. We love dogs. We love people who love cats do not get anything in return. Um, so, yes. But anyway, this is the cat backpack. It's, it looks. It's like a clear plastic backpack with holes in it that you carry your cat around in, why you would want to carry your, I mean, I'm sure the cat doesn't want to get carried around. Like cat. I've never seen it. This poor cat. Cats yeah. don't want to go with you anywhere. Poor human. Yeah. right. How do you get it in there? And then when you get it, it's just going to hate you even more when it comes out. You know, it already hates you. Let's, I mean, if you want a cat, your cat hates you. Let's start with that. And it's going to hate you more if you put a, a cat back in a cat backpack. There's an item I I, I brought because I knew you were going to discuss this. Right. Did you talk about this? Oh, that's beautiful.
0: It's it's my favorite one. Your I, face I, I on a real potato. I, I was thinking of getting this. I'm still doing some Christmas shopping. I don't know if I could get it in time. Like, I need to do this.
2: It's look at that. Huh? That's
0: beautiful. What a likeness. It's it's a potato. I don't, it's a potato for the I don't know if we've said it yet. A potato with the fate with his.
2: Oh, face for the people who can't it. see.
0: Yeah. Okay, yeah. It's
2: a, I got one with my face on it because why not? But believe it or not, I, for those of you who can't see this, uh, I'm I feel bad for you because it's really wonderful. But it is. it is a potato with a face on it. This potato, this particular potato, uh, arrived in the mail almost three months ago. And look at the condition; it's still in. You could still eat this now. Why you would want to eat a potato with a face on, I don't know. But so that's even... a real potato, Greg. This is a real potato. I would take a bite of it, but actually, and you can get something printed on the other side if you wish. <laughs> We Do pr- not eat. <laughs> <laughs> we printed that warning on the other side of this potato. But yeah, this this is one of my favorite items in many years. And I'm guessing that because every year, something that we put in the gift guide sells quite a bit in actual real world because people, oh, because it's stupid and people love stupid. And, and uh, there's not much that I can think of stupider than your face on a potato.
1: <laughs> I'm. I'm uh, and by that, you don't mean mine personally. You mean just one's face on a potato.
2: One's face, person's right. face. No. Okay. Yeah. Now, in I'm your, case, that, in your um, case, Greg, and no offense, it would have to be a certain width potato.
0: Yeah, it would.
2: <laughs> it may have to be. A, I don't know how they size them, but you would want to ask for a a, a, a girth a girthier potato, perhaps. <laughs> Hell yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, my face is more fit for like a gourd than a, than a <laughs> an elongated potato. Um, now my personal favorite, and and the reason this is my favorite from the list, um, is that traditionally I give a lot of ammunition as a stocking stuff or bullets, you know, small handguns, stuff like that. And (laughs) who, who doesn't spirit of Christmas? Exactly. And so there's something on there called the tactical Christmas stocking. Could you describe that?
2: Yeah. I, 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 the photographer took it. The photographer ends up taking everything because I wouldn't let him take the potato. Um, but it, yes, it is a camouflage stocking, Christmas stocking, but it's like got Velcro and it's got these, you know, straps that, the that, that, you know, camo people use. And it's got like certain pockets in it, I guess. Yep,
0: Cause you never know.
2: It's a tactical, uh, stocking. And like, and so if you are a camo, and there is, God, there, you, there's nothing you can't buy in camo. That's right. Over the years, we've had many, many camo items in the gift guide. This is the first stocking we've had. But my concern would be that if Santa comes to your house and you've got that hanging by the chimney with care, he might not be able to find it yeah. because it's camouflaged. That's the problem.
1: That's a good point. That's a very good point. I hadn't even thought of that, but you're right. Yeah. Um, people should go to uh, just Google uh, Dave Berry holiday gift guide. You'll, you'll come right to it. Yeah, you'll find it. Now, your, your big break from from being a general assignment reporter to being a guy seen as funny, given a humor column, was Gene Weingarten at the Herald, right?
2: Actually, uh, no, he it, not really. All, he always claims credit. <laughs> but but no, Gene, if you're watching and I know you are. No, that's not totally what happened. What happened? and you know, I will make this as short as possible. I left journalism for a while. I, I had a job at the Associated Press, which I hated. So I left and I took a job teaching effective writing seminars with for this little company owned by a friend of mine's dad. So I was spending my, I spent the next five years basically traveling around the country talking about how to write to you know chemists, engineers, accountants, people who work for companies. These are big companies, had to write a lot of reports, weren't very good at writing. And I was supposed to tell them how to be better writers. Not that I really could, but I was, I was getting paid to do that. <laughs> wow. um, during that time, I wrote Continue to write a column. I wrote a a little humor column because I like to write, like to write humor. And the Daily Local News, my original employer, kept publishing that for $22.50 a week. They they paid me to write it. And after a while, after a few years of that, I started sending those off to other newspapers. And some bigger newspapers started printing some of my columns. The, The first big one was the Philadelphia Inquirer. From the Philadelphia Inquirer, or other night, Ritter papers saw it, including the Miami Herald, and then the Miami Herald, Gene Weingarten offered me a job. So in that sense, yeah, Gene hired me to be a full-time humor writer at the Miami Herald. But um, I was already writing the same, basically the same column. He just started paying me a lot more money to do it. And then I could quit Quit teaching effective writing, which I wasn't very good at anyway. So <laughs> there we are.
1: Um, You're sort of mostly retired now, right? You write whatever the hell you want. Okay, Exactly. Yep, yep. And and how tough has it been to find humor in the hell show (laughs) of the past few years in America and globally?
2: Yeah, it's been. Yeah, it's in a way it's been hard just because, yeah, it's been shitty. And, you know, there's just more and more hate and anger. Uh, out there than there ever was, and and anybody who writes anything kind of sees this. Whatever, you know, we're so polarized now. If you tread even a little bit one way or the other, people people perceive you doing that. They get really furious, and you know, it's and also there's just this this disease of humorlessness that's spreading and spreading and spreading where nothing, you're not allowed to be, nothing is, nothing is funny anymore. You're not allowed to make jokes about anything. So that there's that on the other side of that though, which we kind of weirdly, especially COVID has been a weirdly unifying experience because we've all gone through it. I mean, everybody is dealing with it one way or another. We're all dealing with, you know, now of course we've managed to hate each other over that too, even though we're in it (laughs) together, but when you, you know, there's a certain commonality of experience that helps a little bit toward writing humor. But overall, right, you're right. This is a tougher time, I think, to be a humorist than it was, and not just what I did, but you know, any stand-up comic, especially stand-up comics, will tell you. Ask Dave Chappelle. It's you know, you get bl- you get blasted if you are perceived to be on the wrong side of of you know, any one of a dozen hypersensitive issues these days.
1: Right. Yeah. You get canceled or attempted canceling.
2: Yeah. Unless you're so big, you're like Dave Chappelle, and you and you're uncancelable. But yeah, a lot of people do get canceled, or just stop. I mean, like um, I know a few stand-up comedians who just won't do, will not work on college campuses anymore because there are too many restrictions on what they are are allowed to say and what they can talk about, and it's just gotten rough out there.
0: Back when you were doing the humor column and you had to write X amount of columns a week, if you weren't in the mood to be funny, like what was your creative process to like shit? I got to turn it on here.
2: It was like, uh, ask your dad. <laughs> I'm sure he's familiar with this. It's like, well, it's either that I come up with something or I have to get a real job involving work. More- <laughs> Right. Which is a powerful incentive to come up with something because no matter how hard we like to make it look, but you know, writing is it, it, you know, it can be hard and everything. It ain't coal mining, you know, yeah, it right. ain't ditch digging, it ain't roofing, right? Um, so you know, yeah, but, we, yeah, but being
0: funny is different in that, like, I feel like if, if I just need to have an opinion, I can do that. Like, I feel thank like, thank you, I feel like, thank poop, you, I feel like pooping out an, an opinion is easier than pooping out something that is funny,
2: yes. Crisco you absolutely totally get it and this is something I have always said to people I'm not saying that what I write is brilliant I'm not and, I'm, and I and I have no it, it don't for I have no illusions that what I write will be considered in any way worth reading 10 years from now however I know that when George Will or some com- columnist like that are sits down to write a column He's basically just gonna tell you what he thinks about something, and you're like, maybe gonna agree, maybe gonna disagree, yeah. you're just gonna nod on. But if it says at the top of your column, humor, yeah, then you're gonna go like, all right, make me laugh. Oh, uh, that's nuts. What do you think? That's so funny, Mr. Funny Man. You know. <laughs> so, like, yeah, you you're 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 the only kind of writer that's saying, I'm gonna get this reaction from you. And it's really obvious when you fail, you know, people don't laugh. They right. don't think you're funny.
0: Like, are you sending off things that you think are crap and you're just like, is this funny? Like, are you doing this
2: a lot? I never did that. Uh, but I'll t- I have written things that I've not well, later on thought were very good. I had the I had a luxury when when I was first hired, um, I, there was a competition between the, the, the basically it was between the Philadelphia Inquirer, which was my local newspaper. I lived in the Philadelphia area then and the Miami Herald. And the Philadelphia Inquirer wanted me to write three columns a week, but it was a much more prestigious job, more prestigious paper. The Inquirer was winning all these Pulitzers back then. It was considered a, a hot paper. The Herald was viewed as kind of stodgy and older and whatever. But Gene Weingarten at the Herald said, we just want you to do exactly what you're doing now. You'll write one column a week. And then if you want to write some other stuff, that's fine. And that was really wonderful for me because then I could have a, two days, three days of like dry or rough, you know, but in the end, I could always get some. Something that I was good with. I never had to send something in and say I'm really not happy with that yeah now in there I would occasionally go to like political conventions I used to go to Iowa New Hampshire and write daily political conventions write daily uh, Super Bowls that I covered with your dad write daily well <laughs> we didn't go to that many but uh, <laughs> right. and, and write, write daily and and then it was more of a struggle but even then like I I generally felt oh I'm okay with this. This is OK. I would hate to turn something in and just not be happy with it. Right.
1: Dave, um, I've, I've heard it said, don't try to explain comedy, quit trying to analyze comedy. But I sort of disagree with that. And in your case, I'm, I'm very interested in the, the wellspring of uh, of how you became funny, because you, you've you had a, a tough background you've had to deal with some shit in your life and um i'm wondering whether you're a funny guy despite that or in some way because of it and for people who don't know you know you had you grew up with alcoholism in your family you had a sister who had mental health issues and i I pray i'm not wrong on this but about one year before you won the pulitzer
2: prize your mom took her own life All true. And uh, I've thought a lot about it. I want to start with my parents. My dad was an alcoholic. He recovered uh, and then ended up in the last 15 years of his life sober and very active in AA and um, worked out. My mom did struggle with depression her whole life. And yeah, after my dad died, she did kill herself. Uh, But my mom was the funniest person I ever knew. My mom had this unbelievably edgy, dark, but, you know, sharp, sense of humor. I, I grew up in the 50s uh, in this little town, Armagh New York, and my mom she was a housewife. We had four of us and that was all she did was just trying to deal with us. Um, you know the dads all went off to New York City to work and the mom stayed home and raised the kids. So but, but she was just funny. like she would see the humor in everything like when we, there was a pond near our house. And my sister and I would go swimming. And as back when like, it was like Mayberry RFD, we would just go off and go swimming in the pond. Like now you would need like 19 legal you know, forms and a lifeguard. But we just went to swim. Um, and my mom would open the kitchen window where she's, you know, cooking or doing the dishes or whatever. And go, don't drown, kids. And we'd go, we won't, you know. Like and we all thought that was hilarious to make that joke, a joke about drowning or <laughs> We would like, she would take us on errands in, in downtown Armagh, a little village. And you would go to like Louis the Cleaners and Ray Brissetti's uh, deli. And you know, just do the errands with your mom. And all the tradesmen loved my mother because she was funny. Like we'd go into, I'll never forget, we'd go into Brissetti's market and there'd be Ray Brissetti slicing bologna. And you go, hey, Marion, how you doing? And she goes, just shitty, Ray. <laughs> you know, like, and the whole, everybody, yeah. Yeah, what? What? what did she say? Yeah. You know? And so she she was just a, a funny friend. The the day that my, we buried my father, we we had his you know his ashes in a box, and we did it ourselves. We just went the my my two brothers, my sister, and I, and my mom went to the cemetery. They had dug a hole for us. We put my dad's ashes in and said a few words and covered the hole up. And that was the ceremony for my dad. And um, it was raining. It was a gloomy day, and we're walking out, and we're all you know, weeping. And I, I got my mom on my arm and she starts to read the headstones as we're walking out. And she goes, so that's why we don't see him around. Anymore. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so my point was, my mom could see, she could see the humor in absolutely everything, including her own kind of depressed life. And wow. even though she was really unhappy, um, she gave me that. Yeah, for sure. I never... I, I I I will never, my dad was a funny guy too, but he was, my mom was where my sense of humor came from directly. The willingness to see humor and everything, the the holding nothing at all sacred that came from her. So like I say to people, I if you add up as you do the the uh, situations, you know my sister did develop became bipolar, but when we grew up, she was a wonderful person. And to her, the day she died, she was a wonderful person who I loved, even though she was struggling with this this difficult illness. Um, my dad, yeah, he, he was an alcoholic, but he was a very good man and he recovered from it. And and he and he, and, and, and my mom, that was sad to the end. But, you know, that she killed herself because that's what she, she wanted to do. She, you know, and I always say that it was kind of a shock, but it wasn't really a surprise when she chose to do it. But I remember her as this person who gave a lot of joy to others. So, um yeah. You could argue that it was partly because I had some weirdness in my youth that I ended up, you know, making jokes for life. But I, I never have felt that I had a terrible life. I felt like I had a pretty great childhood. I, sure. My parents loved me. We didn't have a lot of money, but but I, I have, you know, mostly great memories of growing up and and of my and of, of my parents. So I, I think you know you could just how you choose to look at it. You can to say, I'm going to spend the rest of my life feeling like a victim, but my life was actually always pretty good. And, you know, people in my family struggled, but, you know, one way or another muddled through for the most part. So I don't know if that's a good answer, but that's my answer.
1: No, it's, it's a perfect answer. And and more recently, you and Michelle had a real health scare with your college age daughter, Sophie, who thank God is fine
2: now, right? Yeah, correct. She is. Uh, that was, that was the worst thing that ever happened to me. Um, and it was funny I was I had a book coming out um, and it was called Lessons from Lucy and it's about life lessons I learned from my you know dog when I turned 70 and Lucy turned 10 which is right. 70 in dog years. Um but yeah the 2 days before Sophie was supposed to go to college go to Duke University she woke up uh paralyzed she could not walk and we rushed her to the hospital and uh she was diagnosed with a rare disease called transverse myelitis which is an autoimmune disorder that has a lot of very bad outcomes. Um, A third of the people who get it don't ever recover. A third of the people partially recover and a third of the people recover. And um, we were told this like within an hour of getting there, we're we're getting ready to take our beautiful, happy daughter to start her college career. And all of a sudden she's in a bed with tubes running in and out. They're telling us she may never walk again. Our life is just suddenly over. And we spent the next Forty days. Michelle never left the hospital for forty days. Never left. Jeez. Um, But we spent, you know, dealing with it, and you know, just in that world where you are, you don't care what else is happening on and the rest happening in the rest of the world. None of that matters. All you care about is is she going to be okay? Is she going to be? And as you say, she is okay. She's now at Duke University, and and she's. Um, she, she's doing great, but, um, that was the, I ended up writing a last chapter in the book, uh, the lesson to learn from that, um, which is kind of related to what we were just talking about, which is weirdly enough. The lesson that I got out of that was gratitude in You don't think of it as something to be grateful about, but what it teaches you really teaches you is what's important in your life. And it is none of the bullshit, yep. none of the bullshit that you talk about and think about 99.99% of the time, you know, whether you, you know, nothing, nothing matters compared to, is your girl going to walk again? Oof. Um, so you think when you wake up in the morning, can you get out of bed? Do you have people who love you? Can you take a walk? You know, you got... A pretty good life then yeah. compared to what it could be. And you start to, Jeez. you start to think in terms of the good things you've got rather than all the petty bullshit that generally gets you down. And I got to say, that's the one thing that it just held over in our, in our family. Michelle and I talk about every day, somehow it comes up, Hey, this is, things are pretty good compared with what they could, you know, when yeah. things go wrong, yeah. they're not really going as wrong as as they could have. And right. so that was, you know, that was that.
1: Yeah. that That's a hard, That's a hard-earned perspective because I remember speaking to Michelle a lot uh, when all that was happening, and as a parent myself, it's just unfathomable. You you can't believe it unless you're going
2: through it. Yeah, and all you want is you know you ask. I don't even believe in God, but I asked him over and over again, "Please do this to me. Can you do this to me, not her?" You know. Yeah, Dave, we're
1: gonna let you go. Are we like are
2: we crying
0: here? I know my dad.
1: One of the funniest men in America. We're had we're,
0: we're making jokes about the <laughs> <Seriously>. potato. <laughs> I'm actually curious. Before we go, give me an example of uh, someone being a fan of yours or reaching out to you, and like maybe a celebrity or something. Like the most odd you've been by somebody like knowing who you are and being a fan of you.
2: Yeah, I can I can easily answer that because it uh, it was I got a an email from Steve Martin. Oh wow! Back in 2003, saying I'm going to be hosting the uh, Oscars. I would like you to come and be one of the writers. You know, um, I'm a fan of your work. And I've never written jokes for anybody else. Never been writing for a TV show or anything. Of course, Michelle saw that. She, she said, I'll get you. I'll bring you and your wife to the Oscars. You'll get, you know, great seats. Michelle, Michelle had already answered yes before I, yes. you know.
1: <laughs> yes. I'll be happy to do it. she said on your behalf. Oh,
0: man. That sounds so cool. Like to be a fly on the wall on like an Oscars with Steve Martin hosting like that writing room, like that must have been so cool.
2: It, it was amazing. And, and the, all the other people, every other person in that room was a long time because he could get anybody he wanted. Yeah. You know, every other person in the room was a well-known Hollywood L.A. joke writer, humor writer, the John Mack, who was the, the main writer for Leno, uh, you know, th- that level of person. And I was like, what am I doing here? But Did you it,
0: let it fly or were you self-conscious?
2: Oh, at first I was terrified and I didn't want to say anything because my my feeling, you know, I come from the newspaper world where you finish it and you turn it in and it's got to be perfect when you turn it in, at least in your yeah. mind.
0: This is just like shooting shit out, right? Throwing shit out. Yeah.
2: And that's not how they work. At first, oh. And the other thing is they don't expect it to come out as a fully formed joke and You're not going to get credit for it anyway. It's very collaborative. So, like you could throw out an idea and somebody would, and it would be like, Ah, maybe well, how what about that? What about that? And when they would, yeah, and it would go back and forth and back and forth. And then you know, and Steve would get up and and kind of do a little bit on it, and then we'd try it again and do it. And then by the end of it, everybody thrown in something, or you never even knew where it started, but you had a joke. You yeah. know, it was my, and everybody was so encouraging. People were you know, nobody was like, well, that's stupid. People go like, <laughs> well, maybe we, could, you know, and so, uh, so after a few days when I had come to know the, f- the better and I saw that they were very positive, helpful people and they weren't like obsessed with who thought of what, Yeah. then it, then it got easier for me oh. and I ended up loving it and became friends. Some of them are still, are still friends of oh, mine. That's the best. Dave, um, I could
1: go on for hours with you, but um, we're going to dismount on music because I see the, the red guitar in the background on Zoom here. And I'm a music freak. And and you are a guitarist and a voice on the, I guess I would call it an occasional rock band, the uh, the Rock Bottom <clears throat> Remainders, with other published writers like Stephen King and Mitch Album. Both of whom have been published, yes. They have. I've heard of them. I'm, a, I'm one of Stephen's uh, constant readers, as he puts it. Tell a story, I, because I'm told Warren Zevon, who I
2: love. Oh, yeah. Warren, uh, through Carl Heisen, um, Warren Zevon, um, who I loved, too, joined the band. And Crazy. He, a certain kind of guy, uh, another one is Roger McGuinn of the Birds, right? who just kind of liked being around writers. And Warren was one of those guys. And Warren uh, joined the band and to the end of his life, whenever we played and there was any way he could get there, he would come and just play, you know, you know, yelling at me, what's the chord here, you know? Um, <laughs> and it was so much fun to hang around with Warren, um, Roger McGuinn. We we even once... Uh, this was probably we'll never top this. We were at a, uh, a club in L.A. doing a, a gig for the uh, gig is musician talk, Greg. I, <laughs> you know,
1: I've heard that. I've heard, heard that. Yeah. The I love flat
2: it. minor gig. gig. Right. But we know we, we we're doing a show for the American Booksellers Association, which having a convention in L.A. And there was some connection between one of the guys in our 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 group then, and Bruce Springsteen. Whoa. And and at the, the very end of the show, somebody taps me on the shoulder, I'm kind of like the MC of the band, and says, Bruce is coming out. And I turn around, Bruce Springsteen walks onto the stage. And, um, you know, he's got a baseball hat pulled down. And, and I go, uh, we have run out of songs. We don't have that many songs to begin with. Okay. We're not a good band. Like we play the genre Roy Blunt Jr. has described as hard listening music. That's what we play. But we, we, we had one song left in our repertoire. We were going to play Gloria, D-L-O-R-I, which is sure. a very simple song. And my joke is if you take this guitar and throw it on the ground, it will all by itself play Gloria. <laughs> (laughs) It doesn't require a great deal of skill. So I up up walks Bruce Springsteen and I go, Bruce, do you know Gloria? (laughs) Like stupidest question I've ever, and he goes, I think I could, yeah. And anyway, so the smartest thing I ever did was immediately take my guitar off and hand it to him so that I can, for the rest of my life, say that he played my guitar, not the one you're looking at here, but the guitar I have in the house. Bruce Springsteen played it and we played Gloria. And then stupidly, because we were that was our last song on our list we ran off the stage we should have stayed and played with Bruce Springsteen for an hour and i'm sure he would have anyway wow. we ended we ended up going running and we had to kind of hide in the in the green room for the next 2 hours because so many people heard about this there was this mob outside and we had to wait till it cleared away So we got hung out with with Bruce Springsteen for a for like a long time really and 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 everybody was like finally somebody said, Well, you know, what what did you think of the band? And he goes, Well, oh, you ain't you know, on bad, but don't get any better. You'd just be another shitty band. <laughs> <laughs> That was
1: a passable Bruce. That wasn't bad. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. What are we really saying here with the being like the rock star like thing here? Is this like saying that writers, is this you trying to say writers are cool
2: too? No, it's right, it's that writers wish they were rock stars. <laughs> That's what I mean. I,
0: I feel like it's like, you know, you live a life and you have all the success, but it's like, do people think I'm cool? I can show them I'm cool.
2: You know, yeah. It, it, I have always like I played in bands in high school and in college. I worked my way through college playing in bands. I mean and and always wanted I mean if I could have chosen a job, it would have not been writer. It would have been, I just wasn't any good. I'm still no good. <laughs> so I was able through through writing and meeting, you know, famous writers and, you know, having that crutch, you know, that to be in a terrible band, but people still want to see us because Stephen <laughs> King's in it. Uh, I was able to have the, you know, fantasy of yeah. being in a rock band, having roadies and sound guys and, and getting to play with Bruce Springsteen. But yeah, they're rock star everybody wants to be a rock star yeah. athletes of athletes course. would rather be musicians right oh totally yeah so like they they seem to win then and, and then you know also they some of them are immortal look at what's his name
0: Keith Richard oh, Keith, Rich. my dad thinks he could be in a rock band That that's the kind of guy my dad is
2: well I, I've heard Greg sing and he is bad enough to be in our band like I, say. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that
1: that's <laughs> the best compliment I've ever had it's fantastic. The next time the rock bottom remainders play in South Florida, I want to be a roadie for the gig. I don't even know what it means to be a roadie, but
2: you can you can be in the gig. I will I will remember this, and you will be there. <laughs> there you go. I'm going to hold you to that. You're on tape saying that. I, I am. I'm. I'll, I'm. It's not really the honor you think it is.
1: Um, Dave, we will kept you too long. We're going to let you go. Really appreciate it.
2: My pleasure. My pleasure. I'm a huge fan of you, Mr. Cody, as you know. So
1: Well, and, and vice versa. I was thinking the other day, I've been thrilled and, and honored to work with such greats at the Miami Herald. I mean, Hyacinth, yourself, Edwin Pope, uh, Leonard Pitts. I mean... It's a Hall of Fame, uh, and I'm like the doorman opening the door (laughs) while all these Hall of Famers go in and out, which is No, sir.
2: You're the heart and soul, dude. Heart and soul. Okay.
1: Dave, thanks a lot. Really
2: appreciate it. My pleasure. Good talking to you guys.
1: Enjoyed it. We'll see you in a couple of days at that Harold Chindig of some sort.
2: Oh, that's right. All right. I will see you there. I'll be there.
1: We'll be there. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. All right, you
2: guys. Take care.
0: Appreciate it. Great stuff. Bye-bye. Dad, I know while we were doing that interview with Dave Barry and he was talking about, you know, doing the modest thing of, oh, I, I didn't even know I was nominated for a Pulitzer. Um, I, I, I know you were thinking, why has nobody from the Herald ever nominated me for a Pulitzer? Like, how do I write something? How can I write something that will get nominated for a Pulitzer? Like, admit it. That, like, when we were doing the whole Dave Barry Pulitzer talk and we're talking about another person, you were like, me! <laughs> um... No, I I honestly
1: was not. Um, I was uh, honored to be among the uh, Associated Press top 10 columnists of the year as recently as 2018. And that was like I was doing cartwheels because that's about as big as um, the ceiling
0: gets for me. Look at you dropping some bona fides. (laughs) Well, you know, you uh, you know, you you left the opening and I uh, swear to me that you've never had the thought I could win a Pulitzer.
1: Oh, hell no. Are you kidding me? A Pulitzer? No. And Dave Barry never had that thought.
2: Even to him, it's know. just
0: a piece of paper on the wall that my wife has to keep track of. You know? That whole thing, I wasn't buying that either. I know I'm, I'm being a coward saying this after he leaves. The whole "I don't even know where it is" thing. Not buying it. Not <laughs> buying it. Okay, Greg, where would you put your Pulitzer if you got one? <laughs> I'd have a uh, Greg Cody Pulitzer Prize decal
1: right on my forehead right now if, if I won the Pulitzer. The tattoo but, on um, your forehead. That's right. Before we uh, wrap this up, and, and thanks again to Dave Barry, good friend, longtime friend, and that was so great to have him on. Um, I want to give a quick shout-out to the Barrio Queen, if if you all have never heard of that restaurant. It's a, it's a Mexican restaurant and a tequila joint in the Phoenix area, in Scottsdale, actually, the one I went to. And these people, I've, I've worn a Barrio Queen uh, t-shirt on the Levitard show before, and they noticed it. And so they sent me... A whole
0: box full of swag, t-shirts, decals, everything so like that. Is that the blousey and... shirt you were wearing at that gathering we were at the other That's day? That's right, exactly. Thank you, you love a blousey shirt. There was nothing against the shirt. I'm sure you chose the one that was like a two XL when you probably should right. be in an XL. Well, I mean, they, you know, I didn't ask for the swag; they sent it to me, so I didn't. But thank, thankfully, they sent
1: me a, a blousy shirt. Uh, <laughs> blousy treats me well because no, it, I don't it, have uh... to. I wish feel I had like a picture I'm of you in my gut.
0: I wish I had a picture of you the other day. Why? What was the matter? Dad, with that? You were wearing baggy, faded black jeans, right? With, with a really blousey black shirt. It was. I'm just. I'm being well, honest. I, I, I'm telling okay. you this in the privacy of a podcast. I'm just like. Okay. I'm gonna try to do better. I'm not saying I look standards. great. I often don't look great, but I need you to tell me when I don't look great, like I'm doing to you right now. Right. Like, I, like we okay. need to <laughs> us people out here with no style. I'm not sure how you are, Yeti. We haven't really, you know, I haven't been around you enough in person to really catch a vibe on your style. But me and my dad, zero style. Oh yeah, no so, there's nothing to write home about here. <laughs> like we need to be checked by our, our other our fellow non-stylers and uh and, uh, and keep okay. each other I and keep each other in but... check when we like get below the mendoza line. You just got to right. keep it unnoticeable. Just go make it so nobody know. That's all. When you don't have style, the whole idea of dressing up is just no one notice me. Don't pay attention <laughs> no. to what I'm wearing. Don't like I should just not even be on your radar whether i look good or bad just right in the middle see once you, i once you, go, once you go below the mendoza line that's when you're like uh so that's when the room's like you see greg over there with the, the blousey shirt yeah that okay. you don't want to be that guy
1: no you know what they're saying instead of what you just said they're saying see that cool guy over there with the barrio queen shirt yeah. that looks like a happening oh, joint
0: you mean the blousey one yeah that is a cool he guy must be guy. a
1: real cream kind of guy <laughs> there you go there you go Okay, before we get get out of here, you're just gonna keep like saying before things. Yeah, I feel like you've done that a lot this episode.
0: Quick, quick Lobos update. You're always moving. The bows, Let's just be here. Just talk to me. Yeah, I don't have to like stop like getting to the next thing. The bows are nine and five. Oh, a Lobos
1: update. Great, but coming off three straight losses, going into the PFPI fantasy playoffs. However, we still secured the number two overall seed. So this week we are enjoying a buy, and here's why that's a big deal. You notice Lamar Jackson did not play today and we're doing this on Sunday for the Ravens. And here's why I'm calling up Harbaugh. I'm saying, John, I need Lamar healthy for next week for the Lobos playoff opener. You have to sit him this week, please, please, please. I thought he was going to hang up on me. Obviously he listened. (laughs) Lamar Jackson did not play today and therefore he's going to be totally healthy. We hope for the Lobos playoff bow Next week. So that's exciting news
0: in Loboville. Welcome back to the people that hit Skip 15 three times. We are <laughs> glad that you are still with us. We appreciate when you just hit Skip and you don't completely leave. Thank you.
1: Hey, people. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Dave barry one of my favorite people in the whole world. And thanks mostly to you, whose ear I'm in Me? right now. If you are listening to this podcast, bless you. Have a Merry Christmas, a Merry holiday,
2: whatever you celebrate. Wait, yeah. Are we working? Well, what's
0: our schedule? Are we back next week? Yeti, what's our schedule? Oh,
2: my God. We are taking next week off. Oh However. We finally. Thank Coming God. Coming up, the episode following that will be our year-end extravaganza brought to you a couple days after the new year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. That's how we roll around here. No, I've been here, and I am super excited for our episode two. So it's two weeks from today? Two weeks from now. January
2: 3rd. We'll be back
0: i'm excited for the people to hear yeti has been in the kitchen he's been cooking some stuff up Look, like, come on we're all white here let's let's look really uncool let's all cook some stuff up in the kitchen yeah look married at us. married to
2: a chef she's taught me yeah. a couple things yeah but, but
0: in the cool sense of cook it that's what we're doing right here we're cooking some stuff and yeah, uh hi. man I, that i'm gonna have to nominate what i just did for like the whitest segment <laughs> in the history of podcasting all right and greg cody's got a lighter in his eye all right good night everyone <laughs> Well, Thanks, is the podcast people. over? Why am I talking? I know. Thank you, podcast family. We love you, and we'll see you soon. Dad, I love how sensual you get with the audience late in podcasts. It's one
2: of my favorite things of every it's episode. Like, I, I feel
0: the need to do this and talk to you right. a little like this. When
1: you lower your voice to this register, and you get a little bit too close to the microphone, Jesus. it's just a beautiful
0: We should do some Greg Cody ASMR. ASMR. <laughs> I'm serious. I have no idea what ASMR means.
2: <laughs> oh <my laughs> we can do some of that for the TikTok. Yeah. Greg, right. that level we'll of like beard on yeah. you, by the way, that's the right level.
1: It, yeah. It might be one right week now. away
2: from Homeless Guy, but right there is just right. <laughs>
0: you have good beard oh. right now. You know? This has been the longest ending to a podcast in history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we should just never stop talking. Well, oh, here Marathon Part Two, the Cody edition. Yeah. Yeah, just send the people. We like, do a twenty-four hour podcast. Let's send the people out with just you whispering. Hey, everybody! I wish you all a very, very happy holiday.
3: Love you. Okay. Love you.
0: You made it weird.